0: Well, good morning. Welcome again to Christ Community Chapel. My name is Mike, one of our pastors here. Uh, great to be with you. Glad to be sharing God's Word today. If you're in East Hall, welcome. If you're tuning in online, welcome. And of course, here in the sanctuary, welcome to you. I have to admit, though, I'm a little bit salty this morning. A little bit grumpy. I got a video yesterday. Uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law live in North Carolina. And uh, yesterday was a cold rainy, nasty fall day in Ohio, and they had a beautiful, warm, sunny day at the pool yesterday. And so she sent it around four o'clock, and I just am a little bit salty, a little bit grumpy, and I'm wondering, is it time to move? (laughs) I think every true Ohioan asks that question sometime between October and December. Is it time to move? At the very least, is it time to become a snowbird, all right? That's the question I want to ask this morning. Not about if we're going to move or not, but is it time? Is it time to move on? Is it time to stay? Is it time to hang on? Is it time to consider other options? We ask that uh, really in a number of ways, in simple ways, right? Is it time to upgrade our phones or not? Is it time to switch from Sam's Club to Costco? Is it time to save 15% or more on our car insurance and switch to Geico? We ask this in some more serious ways, though, don't we? Is it time to switch majors? Is it time to switch jobs? Is it time to move neighborhoods? Right, if you're dating, is it time to break up or is it time to get engaged? Right, if you're married, is it time to stay married or are you considering other options? We ask this question all the time. Is it time? And we are in the eighth and final week of our series of Hebrews. And it's been a wonderful eight weeks, and it's been the underlying question throughout this letter. You see, first century Jewish Christians who this letter was written to were asking that question. And they weren't asking about insurance or their phones or Costco. They're asking that about Jesus. You see, something had happened in their life, and life had gotten hard and difficult, and they were struggling, and they were hurting. And Jesus didn't seem to be cutting it. They weren't sure of him anymore. They weren't satisfied with him. And so they're asking the question, is it time to hang on to Jesus or move on? Perhaps you are in that place or you have been in that place. Something has happened in your life and you are struggling and it is hard and it is confusing and you aren't very sure about Jesus. He isn't really cutting it in your life and you certainly aren't satisfied with him. And you ask the question, is it time to stay with Jesus or not? And throughout the whole letter of Hebrews, the author has been comparing Jesus to just about anything and anyone. Comparing him to angels and to prophets, to high priests, to Moses, to heroes, even to ourselves. And every time the answer has been Jesus Is greater. Don't you see? Jesus is greater. Because the hope of Hebrews and the hope even for us this morning is that we would hang on to Jesus. That we would stay with Him. And so we come to the final part of the letter, chapter 13, the final week of our series. And we explore that question one more time. Is it time to stay with Jesus or is it time to move on? Look with me. Hebrews chapter 13 will be our Passage today, we're going to read verses 8 through 14. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. It'll be on the screen as well. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. that is to come. This is God's word for us today. So in this last part of the argument, the last letter of Hebrews, Jesus is compared to other teachings and other options. And our three points are gonna follow the similar template, the similar format of previous weeks. We're gonna look at why other teachings aren't great, why Jesus is greater, and why that's great news. But first, why other teachings, why other options aren't great. I realize there are three types of people in this world. People who make checklists. People who make checklists to cross things off their checklist. People who make checklists, cross things off their checklist, and then add things that weren't on their original checklist just so they can cross them off. I love a good list. I love to cross things off. I love to add something just to have that feeling that everything is done and finished and checked off. And here in the first century, there were plenty of people and plenty of teachers that fell into that same category. They loved their lists and checking things off. And this is what I mean. Look with me at verse 9. It says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods. We see right away again, these people, they are not doing well. They have questions and they are struggling and says their hearts need strength. Their faiths need strength. And there were people and there were teachers that were circulating their own various teachings. Right, Their news feed was filled with these teachings and one particular teaching was gaining Traction was gaining appeal, was gaining likes, was gaining shares. Because if you're looking for your heart and your faith to be strengthened, then you need to eat these certain foods. Which seems both obvious and strange to us. It's obvious that food is strengthening and nourishing, but strange that it would actually help and strengthen our faith, our hearts, our walk with Jesus. We have to remember this letter was written in To first century Jewish Christians. These were people who had been born and raised in Jewish families. They had been immersed in Judaism for their entire lives. And a key part of Judaism was the law. It was a checklist, so to speak, from God. That if you kept the checklist, if you crossed things off, you were good. But if you didn't, you weren't good. And there were lots of laws and there were lots of boxes to check things to cross off. But one particular box, one particular set of laws was around food. And if you would eat or not eat certain food, then you would be good and you would stay good with God. Hmm. But more than just food, we can see pretty quickly this teaching was about a certain approach to God. What I would call a checklist approach to God. And this is what a checklist approach to God says. It says, it's on you. Your relationship with God is 100% on you. He has given you a checklist, and if you can cross things off, great. If you can't cross things off, not great. For better or worse, you will get what you deserve. It's on you. We all have checklists. We can easily develop this sort of approach to God. This happened to me when I was in high school, Without even realizing, I began to have this checklist of what it means to stay good and to be good with God. I had four simple things on my list. The first was do not drink until 21. The second was do not chew tobacco, which was a big thing at my high school. The third was to go to Young Life on Mondays and church on Sundays. And then fourth, I had to wear my sweet khaki cargo pants as much as possible. They were my holy khaki cargo pants. We have a checklist with God. Usually based around being in some sort of good person, a few key morals, right, that are really important, and then some sort of church attendance or activity. And so we have this list, and if we check it off, great. If we don't, not great. For better or worse, we will get what we deserve. And that sounds fair, and it sounds appealing, and it sounds simple, right? Almost any er other area in your life, you have some sort of checklist, right, at your job, what it means to be a good employee. You have a list you can check off each day. If you want to be promoted, you know what it's going to take, what hoops you need to jump through, what lists you need to cross off, right? If you are in school, right, you have uh, requirements, you have your syllabus laid out for you, and you know what it takes. You can check off and be a good student and get good grades, the same if you play sports, your coach is going to give you what it means to be good in your position. Right? Checklists can be great. If we do what we're supposed to do, it goes well. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't go well. Simple, fair, and appealing. But the author comes to us and says to be careful. Be careful with approaching God with a checklist. And this is why. There are three main reasons that he gives to us. The first, the checklist has more boxes than you realize. The checklist has more boxes than you realize, more than just a few food laws, more than just not drinking until 21 and going to church, more than just a few big-ticket items like don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't rob a bank. Something much more going on with the checklist. Jesus, in Matthew chapter five, in one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, he unpacks for us this checklist, and he says, starting in verse 21, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, but whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. A few verses later, verse 27, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's a little bit of a different checklist. More than just don't murder, but don't be angry. More than just don't have an affair, but don't have a lustful desire. The checklist includes more than our actions, it includes what's going on inside of us, it includes our thoughts and our desires and our motivations. There are more boxes to check. Than we realize. That's the first reason. The second reason, we have to check more boxes off than we realize. We actually have to check more boxes off than we realize, right? We, we like to think, we hope to think, that God is going to grade us on a curve. As long as that we are better than other people, we will be okay. If we check more boxes than our classmates and our friends and our neighbors, then we will be Okay. Right? If we go to church more than the Johnsons, or if we're more generous than the Smiths, more compassionate than Karen, less angry than Steve, somehow we will be okay. We are better than most. Or we'd like to think that God is going to grade us like the Ohio driving test. Fun fact for you, to pass the written Ohio driving test, you just need to score a 75. So if you ever wonder why you are surrounded by terrible drivers all the time, it's because you are surrounded by terrible C-minus drivers all the time. And even if you don't get a 75, you can retake it. The system is broken. We think we're okay. In most areas, most of the time, yeah, we're not perfect, but I can get a 75. And friends, that's just not how it works. God doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't just ask for a 75, and there are no retakes. There's one test, and as a perfect and holy and righteous God, he requires 100% perfection. For every day of every month, of every year of your life, of every thought and desire and word, and action. There are more boxes we have to check than we realize. And then third and final, the checklist approach is just getting bad reviews. Verse 9, it continues on to say this, which have not benefited those devoted to them. In other words, he's saying, hey, read the reviews. Talk to your friends and your classmates and your family members, those who are pursuing this approach, this checklist approach, and they're going to tell you two things. One, it's not going well. I'm not as good of a person as I thought I was. And two, I fear it's going to end poorly for me. And they would be right. You see, if you are here and you have questions about Jesus If you have frustrations with Jesus and this other option starts to be appealing because it is simple and it is fair and it is reasonable, my friends, be careful. The checklist approach seems fair, it seems simple, but really, it's going to harm you. It's not going to help you. You see, it's going to give you a checklist that no one has ever been able to keep. And you're going to be treated on your own with God, getting what you deserve. And as the Bible says, as Hebrews says, as Matthew 5 just said, we will be liable to judgment. That's why other teachings aren't that great. And why Jesus is greater it brings me to my second point. A video surfaced last week from a high school in Portland, Oregon. You may have seen it. It highlighted a football coach named Keenan Lowe who disarmed and then embraced the student who had brought a gun to school. The student had brought a gun, and Keenan Lowe engaged that student, first disarming and then embracing him. For a full 40 seconds on the video, as they walk down the hallway, Keenan Lowe embraces this student. And over and over again, he says, I care for you, I care for you, and I care for you. He showed him one amazing moment of grace. You see, there's a lot of things that he deserved in that moment. I know he didn't deserve to be embraced like that. He didn't deserve to be cared for like that. And yet when he was at his very worst, prepared to do his very worst, Keenan Lowe embraced him and hugged him and gave him an amazing moment of grace. He did not treat him as he deserved. And you see, as appealing as checklists are in all parts of life, there are moments when we realize that we want a different way. We long for a different way than just being treated by what we do or we don't do, right? In our marriages, at our jobs, in our schools, even in our churches, we don't just want to be based on how we deserve to be treated. We want a different way. We want a way of grace. Grace. And if it's true in our marriages, if it's true in our churches, if it's true with our friends, how much more true is it with our God? And the greatness of Jesus, he provides that different way. Two things that make Jesus greater. First, is in verse 12. He says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood the greatness of Jesus, is that he knows that we can't p- pass the test. He knows that you can't pass the test. He knows that no one's gonna check every single box, and he knows what that means for us. But we deserve, that we will actually be liable to the judgment of God. And so he comes to us and says, let me help. He doesn't come as a tutor, he doesn't come as a teacher, he doesn't come as a coach. Or he doesn't sit us down to review our week and say, hey, You missed a few boxes. Let me give you a few pointers and a few tips for how you can do better next week. He's not a coach that comes in just to make a few halftime adjustments so you can play better in the second half. He doesn't teach us what to do. He doesn't coach us. But he actually says, instead of telling you what to do, let me do it for you. Instead of encouraging you how to play, let me actually play for you. Let me be for you in your place and do for you What you could not do for yourself. And that's what he did. Jesus, being fully God, came and descended here on earth, fully man and fully God. And every single day of his life, and every single moment of his life, with every single thought and desire and motivation and word and action, he checked every single box. And not just the big ticket items, but Every single box for 33 years. He was perfect. The only one ever to pass the test. And if you wonder why Jesus would come and why Jesus would do that, he didn't do that for his own reputation. He didn't do that so his friends or his parents would be proud of him or his community would look up to him. But he did it for you and he did it for me. So that he could offer himself in our place as our substitute, as our sacrifice, as it says in verse 12, by shedding his own blood for you and for me. He took on what we deserved. We were the ones who failed. We were the ones who couldn't check all of the boxes, and so we deserved to suffer. We deserve to die, to shed our own blood, to even endure the judgment of God. And instead, Jesus takes it on himself. He took on suffering. He took on death. He took on the judgment of God for you and for me. Other teachings will say, this is what you have to do. It is 100% on you. Best of luck. But Jesus says, I know exactly what you have to do. and I know that you can't do it. So it is 100% on me. Other teachings give us a checklist approach, but Jesus offers us a cross-based approach. He lives for us, he dies for us, and then he raises again on the third day. That is why Jesus is greater. For when you are at your very worst and prepared to do your very worst, he embraces you, and he says, I care for you, I care for you, and I care for you so much that I would live, die, and suffer for you. The cross is our one amazing moment of grace. The second reason why Jesus is greater is that he offers us more than just a moment. You see, the tension in the story that I shared with Keenan Lowe is that he could only offer a moment of grace to that student. Since then, that student has been arrested and been charged, and is facing punishment and consequences. It was one amazing viral moment of grace, but it was just a moment. But with Jesus and with us, it's much different. Look with me at verse 8 of our passage. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, sameness is not something that we are very familiar with in our relationships. Even the best of our relationships are not the same. Right? I have been married for eight years to my wife, and I committed to her eight years ago, that I would love her, I'd be faithful to her, I would be gracious to her. But in the eight years of being married, there are moments where I have not been loving, I have not been faithful, I've not been gracious. And we see that all over the place in all sorts of relationships, right? No relationship is the exact same all the time. We are never completely gracious with each other. And it's easy to import that into how we think about Jesus. Are right, we easy to think that he 's going to change somehow on some point on someday right, he 's not always going to be gracious, maybe on Monday and Sunday, but then Tuesday and Wednesday it changes, and we begin to doubt that he 's actually going to stay the same. see that is a checklist approach to God because usually when we are doing something that we know we shouldn 't when we aren 't checking our boxes, then we think Jesus is going to not be gracious, not this time, not again. He can't be gracious again. That's the checklist approach based on what we have done and the cross-based approach is based on what He has done and the cross says that Jesus stays the same. I've been thinking about an analogy that would help us understand that. What is the most faithful relationship that I have in this world and I realize it's with my mailman. I know it sounds a little bit simple I've been around for 33 years, but every single day of my life, the mailman has shown up and delivered my mail. And for you, too. I've never gotten a note saying, hey, sorry, I couldn't make it today. Uh, Don't worry, I'll get your bill to you tomorrow. Showed up and delivered my mail. In a simple way, maybe a bit of a funny way, Jesus is like your mailman. Every single day of every single year of your life, Jesus is going to show up. He's going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's going to deliver grace upon grace upon grace. You see, he doesn't just come, and doesn't give us a moment of grace. But the cross secures a lifetime of grace. That's why Jesus is greater. This brings you to my third and final point, why that is great news. Why that is great news. You see, when you're in this place of deciding, do I stay with Jesus or do I not stay. Do I start with Jesus or do I not start with Jesus? The great news that Jesus offers is that when you connect with him, when you believe in him, when you have faith in him and not your checklist, he says that there is grace upon grace upon grace. There is a fountain of grace for you every single day of every single moment of your life. Jesus is always gracious to you. And there are three ways, three types of grace I want to talk about. Three pieces of good news today. There is grace for your yesterday, grace for your past. There is grace for your today and your present. Then there is grace for your future or your forever. First of me look with me, there is grace for your yesterday, grace for your past. It says earlier in Hebrews 10, 17, and 18, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. The grace for your yesterday is a forgiving grace. Like a whiteboard eraser, God erases it from memory. He remembers it no more. You might remember it, It maybe sticking with you and haunting with you things that you've done, boxes that you've left unchecked, but you have to know that in God's eyes, through the work of Jesus, there is forgiving grace that is permanent and that is real, and that he will never remember your sins ever again. You are forgiven. There is grace for your past, and secondly, there is grace for your present, grace for your today. This is what I'm going to call strengthening grace or sustaining grace. About nine months ago, I got a phone call from one of my best friends who lives in Boston, Massachusetts. And he's married. He has two kids, one who is three and the one who is eight months old at the time. And he was telling me that his eight-month-old daughter, Violet, was diagnosed with cancer. And these last seven months, they have been trying chemo after chemo after chemo to try to cure and bring violet into remission and it's just not working and the other day she posted on instagram a picture of her being tired and exhausted on a hospital bed and she wrote this she said looking around the clinic is both heartbreaking and comforting knowing so many other families are going through similar situations is just so sad but also makes me feel like i'm not alone in this i wonder how they handle it Do they cry? Do they get angry? Do they fight with their spouses? Do they get impatient with other children? Does their faith get them through this? Do they have faith? I can't imagine going through this without the hope and comfort found in God. This is the promise we find earlier in Hebrews 11, or Hebrews 13. It says this, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man or what can cancer do to me. You see, people in first century of Hebrews were struggling, perhaps maybe like you. They had gone through a job loss, a hardship, gone through a miscarriage or a broken relationship, a financial hardship, and they were just wondering, man, Jesus doesn't seem to be cutting it. And so they're looking at other options because Jesus really isn't around and he really isn't helping. Asking questions like my friend was asking. But what she knew was that even in her struggle, even in her pain, even in her loss, even in the cancer of an eight-month-old, that God is her helper. He provides sustaining, strengthening grace for today. It's not for tomorrow. It's not for next week. It's not for next year. The promise of strengthening grace is for today. It's for your struggle right here and right now. We have to be careful here. It's not grace that the struggle is going to go away. It's not grace that the cancer is going to go away, the hardship or the pain or the loss is going to go away. But it's grace that He is your helper, that He is strengthening you, that He is sustaining you by grace today. Third and final way of grace is grace for your future, grace for forever. Our passage ends simply with this: For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is. That we seek the city that is to come. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. You see, from the midst of your struggle today, from the midst of your pain today, the author of Hebrews wants you to lift your eyes and lift your gaze. You see, when we go through hardships, we have a way of getting our head down. When you're really struggling, when you're really hurting, you can only see what is in front of you, what is your today. But in this last part of the verse, he asks you to lift up your head and to realize that there is a forever coming. And there is a forever coming, there is a city that is coming that is completely free of your struggle and of your pain and of your loss. And there is a delivering grace that one day you will be free from sin, and free from struggle, and free from cancer, and it will be forever. In Jesus, there is grace upon grace upon grace. And so we have a question, and we have a decision to make. Is it time to stay with Jesus, or is it time to go? And you really have two options. The first is the checklist approach. You can continue to trust in yourself, continue to check the boxes, and it sounds simple, but my friends, be careful. The checklist isn't what it seems. You can never actually check every single box. You'll be on your own, and you will get what you deserve. And instead of that, Jesus comes. It's trusting the one who checked every single box, who offered himself for you and for me. Instead of getting what we deserve, we get grace. We get grace for our past. We get grace for our present and get grace for our future. Let us trust in Him and let it stay with Jesus now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for Jesus and we praise you for the grace that is found in Him. God, you know better than anybody what we really deserve and what we have really done, all the boxes that we have left unchecked. And I thank you that Jesus came to check everything for us and then to lay down his life to suffer and to die and to rise again for us. God, I pray that we would get rid of our checklists. God, that we would embrace Jesus and the cross and that you would pour out your grace. Even this morning, God, those who are struggling with their past, would you give them forgiving grace? God, those who are struggling today, would you give them your sustaining grace? And God, for all of us, Would you give us eyes to see the hope that we have that in the city that is coming and the delivering grace that's coming one day. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.